The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Listeners, this is our penultimate episode of Season 3. Next week, we will bring you a best-of episode that features some of our highlights of this season, thanks to our wonderful producer, Price. Then we will take a little holiday break and be back at you in late January 2022. For today, I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with Dr. J. Marshall Shepard, a leading expert in weather and climate and distinguished professor of geography and atmospheric sciences at the University of Georgia. Dr. Shepard is also the host of the Weather Channel's award-winning show, Weather Geeks, which I encourage you to check out, and he's a contributor to Forbes magazine. In 2021, when the rest of us were quarantining and uh, kind of, you know, maybe taking a step back, Dr. Shepard was elected to the National Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Engineering, and American Academy of Arts and Sciences, some of the highest honors that a scientist or engineer can achieve. He is the first University of Georgia faculty member in history to achieve this trifecta, trifecta and likely the first African-American to do so. Per the National Academy of Sciences, he may be the second person to be elected to all three of those academies in one year. In 2021, Dr. Shepard also received the American Geological Institute's Award for Outstanding Contribution to the Public Understanding of the Geosciences. Listeners, he's not only accomplished, he is a joy to talk to and has that magical gift of being able to discuss wonky topics in a way that is super digestible. For what I hope is just the first of many conversations, stay tuned for my chat with Dr. Marshall Shepard. Listeners, as I promised, every day is a good day to talk to a climate scientist, and today we're so honored to have Dr. Shepard with us. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Chelsea. It's an honor to talk to you. So I thought that we could just sort of start off nice and easy and that for those listeners who are still confused, that you could use um, a great analogy. I happen to know you have one about <laughs> what the difference is between weather and climate. Yeah, well, you started uh, starting off easy. Yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's certainly in December here and, you know, it's getting cold and I'll certainly get a tweet or two saying, hey, Dr. Shepard, what do you mean climate is changing? It's, it's snowing here in Boston. And I'll say, well, it's Boston and it's about to be winter. You're supposed to get snow. And so it really illustrates something that, you know, I talk about quite a bit. People have this sort of misunderstanding of weather and climate. And so the analogy you may be referring to is this, some, this idea that I use that weather is your mood and climate is your personality. And people say, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, my mood today doesn't necessarily tell me anything about my personality. You've got to really spend some time with me and understand that. Uh, in the same way that a cold day or a snowy day tells us nothing about climate change. And the flip side of that, nor does a hot day. 
Now, hot day doesn't confirm that global warming or climate change is occurring either. We have to look at the long-term climate and trends to understand that. So uh, friend, I wrote something in Forbes recently. I said, friends don't let other friends determine climate change based on today's weather. Hallelujah. I, you know, we've both probably heard it all. Um, I remember, I think we've all probably seen actually the footage of Senator Jim Inhofe going to the Senate floor with a snowball. And that was his big like climate change. It's not happening. Or my other favorite, the weather's always been changing or the climate has always been changing. So, oh, yeah, um, I, I get that. Well, my response to that one is, you know, look, yeah, I get that one a lot, too. Well, under Shepard, the climate always changed naturally and we've always had hurricanes. And I said, well, very true. I said, grass grows naturally also, but when you put fertilizer on the soil, it grows differently. And so it's not an either or proposition. It's an and proposition. There's a naturally varying climate system and there's human or anthropogenic impact on top of it. Uh, home run hitters in the major league could hit home runs naturally, but in the era of steroids, they hit longer ones and more of them. And so we have to get away from this either or proposition. Well, for sure. And I think that that is something that is really hard for people. And and I do think that in the last few years, as we've seen, unfortunately, more and more people be in the path of natural resource disasters. So hurricanes with greater intensity or some of these storms we're seeing where they sit on top of land and just generate so much rain for areas that aren't used to getting that much rain. Or the converse, the the wildfires fires out west, which seem to be an annual occurrence now, and more and more people f- either experiencing or having to flee these storms. That maybe something's starting to click. That I know that you can't point to any one storm and say that is caused by climate change, but it's the trend line, right? We're seeing more intensity, more frequently, and that is climate change. Right. I mean, again, I, I, I co-authored a report for the National Academy of Sciences back in 2016 on what we call attribution sciences. Can we see the DNA of climate change in today's extreme events? And, and for the most part, our report concluded that we can. But we all, as, as you noted, we caution that it's, it's, you know, you shouldn't probably say, oh, yeah, Hurricane Ida was caused by climate change. But I mean, it's certainly consistent with the type of storms uh, that we would see in a climate change environment. So again, the the old ro- uh, loading the dice uh, analogy is the one that really is the, the best way to really frame it. So every time you roll a six, when you roll a dice, you get a Hurricane Ida. Well, climate change is basically like adding another six to the face of the dice. Yikes. Well, <laughs> before our conversation, I have to admit that I watched your 2013 TED Talk and just found it really fascinating. You have a great way of communicating the science and what's happening. Uh, And especially what I loved was making each of the excuses for why climate change isn't happening into sort of this zombie excuse. And we're going to fight the zombies. The zombie theories. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I've been at this a while. So, and like you, I've heard pretty much every sort of what I call zombie theory. There are these things that people say that have long been sort of refuted or killed off by the science 
but they just live on in Twitter and social media and at Thanksgiving Day table debate. Um, they, I call them zombie theories. People watch The Walking Dead. I mean, they're dead, but they just keep living on. And so, you know, these things like, oh, it hadn't warmed since 1998 or it's the sun or scientists just want grant money or it's the solar variable. Oh, I think that's my favorite one that you all are just in on this to make loads of money. Yeah. yeah Don't I, you wish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say I've stacked up my salary against the CEO of fossil fuel guys, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a difference. So yeah, you know, Upton Sinclair said, you know, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And the dollars at play here, I mean, I, I mean, this is why my good friend, Bobby Inglis, you know, I've talked to many times, you know, you know, he talks about things from a conservative uh, platform, but also from an economic platform, because at the end of the day, and where we are in 2021, uh, I don't think uh, the science is really what's at dispute anymore. I think the dispute is about what we do about it and what the solutions are. And, and those do have political implications and they affect lives and certain sectors of the economy and so forth. And I think as scientists and reasonable people, we have to understand that. But we also have to talk about the, in a new energy economy, uh, there's opportunity too. And I think conservatives, liberals and all alike can identify with opportunity uh, if we just frame it in the right way. Well, right. You know, we as a country have a great history of being innovators. And I think when you can unleash market forces to incentivize innovation, we're going to see it. And that's what I tell the teenagers I'm around. And listeners, you've heard this from me multiple times, but between my 20-year-old and my 17-year-old and their friends, when they get agitated um, about climate change and the inability of the older generations (laughs) to do anything about it, I try to remind them that there is great money to be made in solving climate change. And I think that's kind of the last hope, right? That plus the fact that kids today are, they're digitally native, but they're climate native, right? They have been learning about climate change at different levels of science classes all through school. Yeah, there there is not this sort of um, this inertia to deny uh, with with the current generation. I have a uh, 14 and an 18 year old. Uh, and I, you know, I'm a professor at the University of Georgia, so I'm around that generation quite often. And no matter what their political perspective is, their religious background, their faith and so forth, uh, you don't see a great deal of variance when it comes to the perspectives on climate change and a lot of other environmental issues for that matter. I mean, I, I think climate change is a little bit separate than an environmental issue, although it often gets lumped in. Uh, I, I say it's different because climate change literally it affects every aspect of our lives from, from our politics to the economy, to national security, to agricultural productivity, to our public health and infrastructure. So uh, it's really a bit more cross cut than sort of a, you know, polluted water issue. It's, it really cross cuts in the same way that we're seeing with COVID-19 right now. It sure does. And that's another example where I think as the world, you know, we kind of looked at the problem presented by COVID-19. And when you think about, how quickly the vaccine was able to come to market. And before that happened, I was listening to all these different podcasts and experts saying, oh, the fastest the vaccine's ever gone to market was four years. And I thought, oh my God, we can't live in quarantine for four years. What are we going to do? And yet there was a, a common goal, right? A common enemy, common goal. We came together and I know that it's still, you know, we're, we're the battle's not done and I'm avoiding the news about the latest variant because I just can't. Yeah, Omicron <laughs> is the finest. But, but I think you're hitting on something so important. And I wrote about this in Forbes last year, I believe. You know, whenever this country has faced a challenge or a goal that it wants to collectively attack, 
We usually do it. Uh, And so I wrote that we need a Manhattan Project level response to climate change or an Apollo level response. Uh, or, or a Panama Canal level response, or, you know, when, when we collectively um, attack a problem, we usually succeed. And so I think, you know, even with the uh, Operation Warp Speed, I guess is what it was called mm-hmm. with the vaccine development. I mean, it's not a matter of whether we can do it. It's a matter of whether we can enable ourselves, get through all the red tape and just, you know, I'm, I am of the opinion, if we put enough brain power and funding behind something, we can usually figure it out. Well, I have been um, doing some research for a different project where I really kind of dug into the 1980s and where the politics of climate change were in that decade. And what was so fascinating to me is that the ozone layer, which was something I remember being a teenager. And of course, I just wanted to lay out with my baby oil and get a good tan. And my mom was like, no, there's a hole in the ozone and you might get skin cancer and you have to wear sunscreen. And, And so I remember having some consciousness about the ozone layer. And so doing this research, what really fascinated me was that it was a 14-year period from when the scientists started to sound the alarm to when the Montreal Protocol was ratified, a global international treaty to phase out CFCs. What I didn't know was that during that time, carbon, the, the greenhouse effect was also kind of on the table, the subject of a number of congressional hearings, great bipartisan support to do something, and we didn't do anything. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, that's, the, you know, I think you're exposing something that a lot of people just don't realize there, there, there was a lot of bipartisan concern and support about attacking this problem. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, you know, our mutual friend Bob and I've talked about on my show, Weather Geeks on the Weather Channel, you know, the EPA was created under President Nixon. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in <laughs> the Clean Air Acts and so forth, passed during that time, the National Climate Assessment Report that we do even today, where we assess our climate every four years, uh, that bill was signed by the first President Bush. So, you know, you know, one of the things and, you know, why I'm so happy to engage in your effort and on your podcast, I mean, you know, my, my good friends uh, at, at Republican is that, you know, this is not a political issue. It's not a left and right issue. Uh, this is an issue of humanity. You know, the storms and the ice don't care whether we're blue or red. They just do what they do. Uh, and so it's important for us to share this knowledge. And I commend you for this podcast because podcasts are the way that people consume information. That's why we do Weather Geeks now as a podcast and not a television show on the Weather Channel for that very reason. And so shameless plug, definitely check out Weather Geeks. Yes, a, and we will put a link in our show notes for sure. Very, to Weather very Geeks. good because uh, we talk about a lot of these issues as well. So yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. There are, there are opportunities opportunities. And that's why I think scientists now are, you know, we're trying to, we're trained to be conservative in a sense. We're, we're not trained to be exaggerated or hyperbolic about topics. We're trained to be careful and follow the data. And so I think we've done that to a fault in the sense that what we're seeing with climate change right now and the responses are probably beyond or accelerated beyond what we even predicted in some cases. But I think because of our nature, we don't, we didn't want to seem like we were like that, that guy at the beginning of the movie running to say, Oh, well, asteroids going to hit the planet or whatever. Um, you know, we're trying to be measured about it, but I think that measuredness in some cases has, has left us behind the eight ball to some degree. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, and I do think that when, and I don't remember if it's 97, 98, maybe even 99% now of climate scientists who agree on the science of climate change. And so 
what the opposition has so cleverly done is take that little tiny 1% and manipulate that uncertainty to cause skepticism in people who would might otherwise say, oh, well, you know, I'm the kind of person, I'm not a scientist. So if a scientist is going to tell me something, much like if a doctor tells me something, I'm going to heed that warning or that advice. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that little tiny percent has been manipulated and it's really unfortunate because I, I think it's Lindsey Graham who says, if nine out of 10 doctors tell you you have cancer and the one doctor says you don't, you're not going to listen to the one doctor who says you don't have cancer. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the same thing. If 97% of uh, structural engineers told me not to drive across the Golden Great Gate Bridge because it might collapse, I'm going to listen to them. Uh, even <laughs> there are three of them tell me, yeah, you're good. Uh, and so I, I think it's the same, same thing, you, you know. You know, I, I often have gotten, well, you know, not all scientists believe it is true. Uh, you know, there, there's a scientist I know that says it's all a hoax. And I said, well, what is that scientist? Oh, he's a botanist. I was like, oh, OK. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm not going to weigh in on, on plants or nuclear fuel rods. I'm an intelligent person, but it's just kind of not my lane. And so I think people sort of you know need to understand that. I mean, certainly, you know, another thing that people need to understand about climate science and where we are is there are things that we're still uncertain about as climate scientists with climate change, no doubt about it. But if I told you there was an 80% chance of rain today, uh, would you grab an umbrella? Absolutely. So so that information had uncertainty in it, but there was enough certain information to utilize it as well. And so, uh, you know, as Bob always talks about, you know, you know, good conservative principle is to prepare for risk, even if it doesn't happen. Right. Well, the Montreal Protocol was an insurance policy. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, you know, we, we all carry insurance. I, I, you know, I don't want uh, a hailstorm to come through and destroy my roof, but I have insurance in case it does. But the likelihood that that happens is very low. But, you know, prudence tells me that I need to prepare for it in the law, by the way, perhaps, but uh, with certain insurances, at least. But I, I think, you know, we're beyond even an insurance phase right now with climate change. We're in a putting out a fire phase. Yeah. Well, and I think especially when you do, and not that it's the only impactful thing, but when you look at the size of the federal response to some of those natural disasters, and we had like $21 billion events, I think it was in 2020, that is not pretend money. And so for people who talk about we can't afford to do something about climate change, we really can't afford not to do something. Right. And those are just the very clear, obvious costs. When you talk about 20 events that were that cost the nation over a billion. And in many cases, there were there were multiple billions for that specific event. Those are the obvious things. I mean, but then you talk about all the other things, you know, whenever there's significant drought in the breadbasket of the country or in California, you know, where most strawberries and broccoli come from, the Central Valley of California, wine. If you enjoy a glass of wine, most of the grapes are grown there. So when those things are in drought, we are paying more when we go to the grocery store for them. So there's real cost there. When there are hurricanes barreling through the Gulf of Mexico with intensities that we've seen recently, oil, oil production shuts down in those oil rigs out there. And then you go to pump gas and it's like three, four, five dollars a gallon, uh, uh, you know, 50 cents or more because of that supply issue, basic economics. And so uh, there are all kinds of costs. The cost of not, as you noted, the cost of not doing anything about climate change 
uh, orders of magnitude larger than the cost of not of, of doing something about it. It's, it's 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 just we haven't articulated that well, and people don't see it because they're living what I call their kitchen table issue lives. They're worried about putting food on the table, um, you know, providing health care for their children, or you know, getting to work every day across the bridge. All three of those things don't seem like they're related to climate change, but in fact, all of them are. Right. I think that that's what, to what you said earlier. It's a cross-cutting issue. It's not an environmental issue. It's an everything issue. Yes. And what you were just saying about supply chains too, you know, for the first time, I feel like in my life with, uh, you know, due to the coronavirus, we've really seen challenges with the supply chain. I mean, I started buying Christmas presents in October when I got worried that they, and I'm very consumerist of me, but hey, I didn't want to wake up. I, I normally do everything last minute and I didn't want to wake up on my birthday mid-December and realize, oh, I have all this stuff to do. Oh, nothing's shipping until January. So I got ahead of it. But I do wonder if sort of that realization that right now there's there's a kink in the hose of our supply chain, right, that we could see different and, and worse shortages, right? What you were saying about the breadbasket, um, the, the places where we grow food, Um Wine. Oh my gosh. We actually had a great uh, winemaker on the show a few months ago and he did talk about the land and the changes that they've seen. And, you know, they're so in tune to weather for how it's going to impact their crops. But over time, seeing the different changes and the, the trend lines in those changes. Um, we're going to be buying Idaho wine at some point. Yeah, right. I mean, I live in Georgia. Could we grow oranges here in South Georgia one day, perhaps? Now, that might be seen as an economic benefit, and that's kind of a zombie theory that I often hear. They'll say, well, you know, there's some good things that will happen because of climate change. There are some people that will win in the short term, but the broad uh, calculus equation is a loss. It's an L. And so, uh, yeah, while there may be some regional gains, I think the broader challenge is at hand. But I think you were sort of touching on a point that I want to amplify some. I think the COVID era and this pandemic that we've all lived, this disruption in our lives, uh, I actually think it in a way, in a weird kind of way, has all elicited sort of given us a snapshot of sort of climate change's peril in the sense that uh, climate change is a crisis of this scale. Um, the pandemic was more immediate. You see the impact of someone getting COVID or testing positive or us being shut down for a year. Uh, climate change is not that immediate impact, but what concerns me about it is it's a pandemic scale event times a thousand. In other words, it's sustained and over many years and decades and has many tentacles that impact the globe as the pandemic does. But I, I think we will eventually get beyond this particular pandemic in COVID-19. There'll probably be another one at some point. But climate change, once it really gets in full swing, and it's not in full swing yet, will be around for generations. Well, with that, <laughs> what gives you hope? So what gives me hope is that what we talked about earlier, the younger generation gets it, uh, the future leaders get it. And what also gives me hope is I see people sort of the, the, the narrative around climate change changing. I see faith-based organizations, the military, governments, and so forth, conservatives, liberal, all sort of talking climate change. Now, the last election cycle showed us that. Yeah, for sure. Any new zombies that haven't been, that weren't on your radar back in 2013? 
No, you know, I, I, the, the one about solar solar influence really, you know, the solar activity of the sun keeps popping up, even though it's a pretty well-established zombie theory, but I still hear that quite a bit. Uh, you know, the whole, the name keeps changing, the bar keeps moving, pops up from time. Oh, you called it global warming, now you call it climate change, that keeps coming up. Um, and that but, was a political decision. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, I wrote about that in Forbes as well. Um, so, you know, but but now I, I do hear, well, OK, yeah, climate is changing. We're probably doing something about it. But it's not too bad. We don't have to worry about it. Or, you know, so, you know, I just keep seeing the goalpost marker move. Yeah. So. But like you said, with all of the different constituencies engaged and wanting to do something, we just have to figure out what that something is. And we have to do it against a clock because exactly. there's a ticking clock. So. The clock is ticking. Yeah. So for listeners who would like to learn more about what you're doing and what you're up to, let us know. How how can they find you? Yeah, well, the best place is to, is to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Shepherd uh, 2013. And Dr. Shepherd is spelled out as Dr. D-R-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D 2013. Uh, and I also have a public Facebook page to a public figure page. And so I share information, science, uh, information and thoughts and so forth there. Uh, happy to have you all follow me. And, and again, I, I write for Forbes, so you can read my columns at Forbes or check us out on Weather Geeks. Great. I will link all those things in the show notes. And I thank you so much for your time and your thoughtfulness and your energy and passion. It's just what we need to continue to spread this message. Well, thank you for what you are doing. This is amazing. And particularly given the audience that I know you're trying to reach, I think it's very valuable service. Price, I just cannot say enough positive things about Marshall Shepard. He is one of my favorite guests we've ever had. Are you just saying that because I, you know, buttered it up last week? I'm not, I swear. I just really felt an affinity toward him and it was, I don't know, it was just a joy. I'd love to have him back. I hope he'll come back sometime. Yeah, Marshall is awesome. Marshall is just an awesome guy and he's uh, filled with knowledge and just so measured, you know, in his words, but, you know, he he just speaks so... I just can't say enough about him. Um, he's become a great friend to us and um, really uh, enjoy his work. And Forbes, you know, as a contributing columnist, uh, usually has something, I think, once a week in Forbes. Uh, obviously, his Weather Geek show is is uh, is popular. He used to be on TV, now in podcast form. Uh, so make sure to check out the Weather Geeks and, and Marshall's show there. Um, you know, as, as we've talked about here, um, you know, this is our kind of final episode. Uh, of 2021 in season three is we will come back to you with another season uh, starting early next year and then uh, we will have a best of next week so if uh, some of the are maybe our favorite guests yours uh, we're going to have kind of an array and sprinkling of a lot of folks that we've had on in season three and so that will be coming to you uh, middle of next week so stand by stay tuned for that Um, I mean I am in the middle of going through the clips and kind of reminiscing our guests of this past season and picking out those um, that are my favorite and weaving them together. So I think um, especially if you've been busy and maybe you haven't been able to hear every episode, this will just give you a nice little snapshot of who we talked to and what they had to say. Yep, 100%. So it'll be a listen to hold you over during the holidays uh, until early next year until we start and fire up season four in 2000. 
in 22 and make sure to follow us on social media at Republic EN, um, Facebook, Twitter, all those places where we will let you know when we will bring you season four in that new season. So, you know, definitely want to say thanks to all our guests and, and especially all our listeners who've downloaded, listened and subscribed this year. Tell a friend uh, over the holidays, um, especially if you've liked a particular episode, recommend that one. And maybe that might hook them and get them to listen to us every single week. And also I uh, want to say thank you to our new members that we had sign up this week. Mason H. in Minnesota, Mike P. in Tennessee, Samantha R. in Florida, Charles H. in Texas, and Brady H. in Oklahoma. If you want to sign up and have not done so, we will make the weekly call on this show, republican.org forward slash join. And with that note, Winley, who supplies us with these, uh, our new members, sends us the batch every week so we can read off. And uh, it's one of the little, little things that she does in a big, big role on our team, Chelsea Henderson. And we unfortunately are going to have to say goodbye to Win at the end of the year, uh, start of 2022. And this is not an easy goodbye because she has meant so much to our team. Don't even say it. I I get teary just thinking about it. She has been such a core part of this team. You know, Price, I've actually only met her in person once, but just so key to keeping us on target. And I don't know, her questions, her thoughtfulness, just going to miss all of it. Um, and But wishing her well. She has a great... Um, job ahead of her parenting her daughter who's a toddler and um, you know it's such an exciting time and you and I both know having older kids you don't get those moments back and you know so the next few years before her daughter is old enough to be in school they'll be spending a lot of time together having meetings maybe Um, but very excited that she has that opportunity to get to be at home um, with her daughter these very um these very formative years. Her creativity, her spark, her attention to detail, uh, her outside thinking. I mean, just so many things that she brings to our small but tight-knit, cohesive team. And it just words just cannot do justice how much we will miss her uh, immensely uh, on a day-to-day basis, on a you know creativity basis, on all the things that she you know, helps us do, helps our team, and helps our community, you know, especially our Republican community that, that we continue to build on, that we ask you to join, and, you know, so many of you have. Um, She's just the, she is the, the backbone of that. And so um, we will try and form a, a another backbone, uh, if, if you will, you know, in her absence. Uh, she clearly is irreplace, irreplaceable, but we will do our best. Okay to try and, uh, you know, to, to pick up the, the slack, so to speak, for her. Uh, but That's let's right. want to make sure that Bob, you know, our executive director, Bob Inglis, gets to share a few words uh, about how much Swin means to us and our team and, and all of us at Republican.org. So uh, let Bob take it away. We at Republican.org are pretty much despondent because our wonderful, beloved engagement director, Wen Lee, has gotten a better offer and she's going to take it. It turns out that her two-year-old daughter, Kazi, has offered Wynn full-time employment as her mother. And even though we tried to get into a bidding war, we found it 
hopeless because Kazi's hugs and kisses really are priceless. So we have to say goodbye to Win and best wishes to Kazi, who's going to have the wonderful love and support of Win. But we'll count on Win helping us in various ways, even as she carries on, because we'll never let her go. All right, and that was our executive director, Bob Inglis. And Chelsea, I, you know, it's just, again, it's don't want to go out on our last episode on a sad note, but uh, Wynn will be dearly missed. <laughs> well, she's been a joy to work with, and we wish her well. Yeah, we do wish her well. Um, all right, let's brighten your holidays. I mean, we, we certainly hope you and your family have uh, a wonderful um, you know, holiday season. Uh, you were talking like they're not going to hear us next week. They are. They wi- we'll do a little best of, of wrap-up, right? So we can do all our wishes then. We, we can do that then. We, we, can, we can wrap it up officially then. But as the holiday season descends upon all of us, um, just be safe. Uh, you know, And certainly as we get ready for 2022, 2021, let's hope that we're really turning a page in 2022. But we will save all that, as you insist, for next week in our best of episode. <laughs> so until we get to that episode, Chelsea Henderson, I will talk to you then. And once again, thanks to Marshall Shepard, but also all our listeners who are with us every single week. Your loyalty, your subscribing, and your listenership is greatly appreciated by Chelsea, me, and our entire team at Republican.org. Chelsea. That's right. Happy rest of your week and tune in next week. Don't forget about us for your best of wrap up. Talk to you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 